women's rights Welcome to episode seven of season three from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. The 2023 edition of the Women's IP Annual can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that so many IP conferences are back in person, you can also likely find a hard copy as well. Today we have Maria Khan. She is back, senior partner at United Trademark and Patent Services. So last year, we talked about working women and the COVID-19 pandemic in the MENA region. Today, we're going to talk about women and innovation and where we're at in this day and age. So welcome, Maria. Before we get too far in, I would like you to define MENA just for those who may not be as familiar with the term. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me again this year. Um, So I am based in Dubai. And MENA means uh, Middle East and North Africa. So it's sort of a catch-all term um, for all the um, Arabic-speaking countries that start from Morocco, Tunisia, all the way up till, um, you know, Oman and the Gulf. Uh, And the firm that I work with uh, also has offices in South Asia. So when we say MENA, we mean, you know, all the way up to Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, uh, because we cover that entire region. Well, so in speaking about your firm, and since it has been some time since we've spoken, uh, can you give us a refresher on your background, uh, yours as well as your firm? Sure. So um, I'm a qualified barrister from the UK. Uh, I went to college uh, in the US where I did a biochemistry degree, and then I went to law school in the UK. I worked in a few firms uh, in London and New York, and then I moved to Dubai. So that's on me. And I've been working in the Middle East now for uh, almost two decades. Um, And so the firm that I work with is a boutique IP firm, and it has 14 offices in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. Um, We started off as a family firm, but we are much bigger than that now. Um, And, you know, we keep expanding in the region. Um, And I am the managing partner um, of the Dubai office, which is one of our biggest offices. And where were you born and raised? In Dubai? No, so I was born, I was born in Lahore, Pakistan. Um, And I was 
raised there until I was 17 when I went off to Wellesley College in Boston. So I, you know, that's where mm-hmm. I started my undergrad. And then I went to England to Cambridge University for law school. Uh, then I went to bar school. Then I worked um, in New York and London. So I lived sort of between 17 to 27 um, in the West. Uh, but I decided to move back um, after that. So, and I know, and I know many members of your firm as we were actually discussing before, as we were catching up before the podcast. And uh, it's, the the firm is very uh widespread mm-hmm. as far as not just the different offices you have, but even your mm-hmm. involvement in so many of these different mm-hmm. IP conferences. Yeah, the firm is, I mean, we, 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 we like to call ourselves a full service IP law firm. So, you know, we have partner attorneys with varied backgrounds, you know, pharma, tech, engineering. Then we do a lot of litigation. So you'd find, you know, barristers and lawyers. Uh, We do a lot of transactional work, uh, you know, IP adjacent work. So you'd find solicitors as well. Um, And then just because of our geographic spread, we're also a really diverse firm. So, you know, we have about 40 nationalities that are working with us at the moment. Um, And also the nature of the region is such that you see a lot of expats, you know, from India, from uh, the Philippines, you know, and then the Arabic speaking region. Um, So it's it's actually a a very fun place to work because there is depth in terms of the educational backgrounds of everyone. And then there's also a lot of diversity in terms of nationalities and languages spoken. So, you know, considering we're talking about diversity, you know, you just mentioned it, and your article last year also touched on diversity, um, women in IP, working women, um, and we did focus on IP, but women, working women in general in the MENA region and how they were affected by COVID-19 different than perhaps our male colleagues. And again, this year, different a different look at it, a different lens, women in innovation uh, specifically, and how women are different than men. I mean, just inherently different and certain responsibilities is, that are a bit assumed for us, um, especially those of us that um, maybe are moms or caretakers for others. Um, in whatever capacity, whether it's child, parent, whatever that might be. And so I want to turn to your article. um, But before we do specifically go there, I wanted to know from you, what is it that seems to draw you to this subject matter of women and intellectual property? Well, uh, I think it's very personal and it's very close to me because, um, you know, I became involved with the firm when I was, you know, in my mid 20s. And because of the fact that, you know, it was a family owned firm, uh, and I'm part of that family, I started in the business of sort of running it a lot earlier than you would expect if you had a traditional career path, and then, you know, became you became a partner in your 40s or your mid 40s. Um, And also, because we are in a traditional part of uh, the world, our firm is very unique in the sense that it is actually a female majority firm. So if you come into our office in Dubai, um, 
you would be counting the men, you know, on the back of your hand. And it's it's really overrun by women. And so that sort of diversity is is a big part of my hiring process as well. And that is something that I really encouraged and started to introduce uh, when I took over. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a traditional firm and it's been there since 1947. So it wasn't always this way. So, you know, in the last sort of 15 years, we've really seen a change um, in the way that the firm is made up and how it is now. Well, number one, it's a 100% female owned firm. Um, and then it also is female run uh, in terms of the management. And you'd notice that when you see the people who come over for the conferences, you know, the, the, the number of women is more than the number of men. So it's close to my heart because there were a lot of things that I encountered when I started to run it. And then it was at the same time that major changes happened in my life too. You know, I, I got married, then I had children, and then I had multiple children. And so, you know, th- th- those are sort of things that we didn't have really systems built in for. Um, and the, I mean, obviously we had whatever was legally required, but there wasn't anything above and beyond that. And so, you know, we had to institute those things because now there was someone in management who was actually going through, uh, you know, the things that the employees uh, also required. So, you know, it's, it's really small things like longer maternity leave or, you know, a a room for breastfeeding or a crash or, you know, all, all the things that make, women more productive and less concerned about what what's happening in their house because they're obviously more in charge of both uh you know places than men are so i mean we did those things um and then this is more on the sort of i would say practical front but there's also in terms of women and innovation and women working in the ip space there's also like an emotional front in the sense that I felt that a lot with my younger employees that, you know, women are often hesitant to come up with, they have the ideas, but they're hesitant to bring them across, you know, and they're hesitant to own them. And a lot of times, you know, men take those ideas and and they run with them or, they may not have the original idea in the first place, but they're very confident about, you know, projecting it uh, to the firm. So, so, you know, that is something that businesses, uh, you know, innovative businesses, IP businesses really sort of need to weed out in the sense that the right idea is attributed to the right person. And then also to create an environment where the person who is the actual innovative person feels comfortable to talk about or to bring forth, you know, what they have thought of Um, and, you know, to be able to take that risk, to not play it safe. Um, And I don't think that that's because there's something inherently at fault with women. I think it's got to do with the environment that they're working in um, and also because there is an innate quality in women to not not rock the boat 
Um, and so it requires a good manager to sort of draw that out. Is Wellesley an all-girls yeah. college? Yeah, so Wellesley's an all-women's college. Is it? Okay, right. And you and I know you you went mm-hmm. you went there for for mm-hmm. undergrad, right? There are studies that I it's, it's been a while, but it's been a while since I've looked at them. But there are studies that show that women that study in all women environments actually do yeah. better. Uh, however, you translate mm-hmm. that, right? And it, in based on what you're saying, you can see like back that that you can see why that would be because there is that hesitation. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, right? Um, So have you seen a direct correlation with these major (laughs) changes, you know, that have come under your leadership with the kind of clients or additional type of clients that you're seeing, you know, who want to work with your firm? No, there's been like more women-owned or, you know, women-owned So those studies are widespread and they're absolutely true. And, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I want her to go to you know, at least up till middle school to to a single gender school, because I do believe that when you see other women in leadership and just women around you, you're more likely to uh, speak in a room that might also be just full of men because you're you've just been groomed that way. You know, you, you, th- you know that your voice matters um, in terms of clients. We have absolutely seen, uh, you know, a change. I, I feel like the clients um also because, you know, in our industry, a lot of the in-house counsels tend to be women as well. Um, and there is a real camaraderie um, amongst IP lawyers because we attend so many conferences together. You know, we see each other more often than you would in other industries. Um, and and I do feel that women in positions of power have a responsibility to lift other women up. So it's like a synergy that has been created. Um, and, and also in terms of, because of the fact that we have so many women working in the office in management positions, um, the work, it's not that, you know, the, the basis of how you file a trademark application changes, but the way that the office is run, uh, you know, the way, the correspondence is done like it it does change a little bit to something more intuitive or collegiate or you know easy to talk to when you just pick up the phone etc and so i have seen a preference by the clients uh, you know for that um and and obviously in terms of diversity goals for clients as well because we are in a region where this is rare and it's not it's not like it's the norm in the U.S. as well. You know, you, you are also a female who runs a law firm. But in in our mm-hmm. region, it's even rarer. So, you know, that is something that if, if it's supported um, would, because we've, you know, obviously because we have such a huge spread, we have employees uh, who leave us and they set up their own firms or, you know, they go to a competitor, but they bring that ethos, you know, with themselves. And so if we've planted that kernel within our office, um, you know, it leads to a lot of, you know, different things happening in, in other countries as well. Well, and it's fantastic that you view mm-hmm. it that way also, that you're there's a positive. Someone's leaving you, maybe they're going to a competitor, but they're still bringing that, that, yeah. fundamental importance 
of lifting yeah. up other no, women. That makes that makes me I mean, really happy. It says a lot about you. You know, I'm firm. obviously in in more in in a in a very privileged position, and and I live in Dubai, and you know, it's a very cosmopolitan place to live. But then we have people who come to us from Iraq or you know other other countries who've just seen wars, etc. And so they then go back. So there is actually someone, an Iraqi female that I know who went back and then she set up her own firm in, in Iraq. And I still work very closely with her. And something like that makes me really happy because, you know, like she chose to uh, go back to, you know, a war-torn country as a female to set up a law firm um, after being trained uh, with us. And it's and it's I don't see it as a losing situation because it's a win-win for me as well because I have uh you know a relationship with her I'm not gonna go you know on the ground <laughs> to Iraq myself so if I need you know any help in that matter um etc or, or you know and anything there might be anything because we work in the entire region uh then I have this network as well of of very gutsy females who you know know what they're doing yeah that's she's your go-to yeah. person there i mean it's it's important in our industry to know who we're yeah, working with exactly right? who's who's on the other mm-hmm. side of the email um or the you know and and i know for many of us on the on the whatsapp like because we actually know each other mm-hmm. more than just you know on a superficial level so with that i do want to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into your article And I'm looking forward to hearing more. Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited are delighted to announce the launch of IPNexum, a new digital platform to help streamline the intellectual property industry's referral, business, and information sharing process. IPNexum is the ultimate detailed reference guide for anyone seeking experts in IP and IP law. Whether you are looking for a co-counsel arrangement, a partner law firm, or simply exemplary practitioners to refer work to, IPNexum has got you covered. With a wealth of information on trusted partners and business associates, IPNexum is your go-to resource for intellectual property referrals, making it easy to find the right match for your needs. Sign up to IPNexum today for free at www.ipnexum.com. Use coupon code IPNexumVIP with no spaces and in capital letters and receive free premium access until February 2024. Finding professionals who share your passion and expertise in the IP world is made easy with IPNexum. Happy networking. Welcome back. So let's dive into the article. It starts at page 86 for the listeners who want to uh, take a peek at it later, and I hope you do. And um, we have the title this year is Women in Innovation, The Road Less Traveled. So, okay, tell us about what are the biggest differences that you see between men and women entrepreneurs? Okay, so, you know, I, I want to preface with obviously there's no rule and there are exceptions to every rule and you can't really you know, it's it's not black and white in the sense that you can say men do things this way and women do it another way. Uh, but I would like, you know, specifically to talk about science um, in, in, in this section because I, so I have a biochemistry degree before I became a lawyer and we work really closely with, you know, pharmaceutical innovators, um, engineering innovators, and 
uh, there was like a graphic that was running around recently that compared um, the gender of Nobel Prize winners, um, you know, ever since the Nobel Prize started. Um, and, you know, the, the women are, are, you know, not even 50% is a big number. They're not even like 10 to 20% of most of the major Nobel Prizes. So, you know, physics, chemistry, uh, the hard sciences. Um, and even in the humanities, they lag behind, although they're there a little bit closer in the humanities than they are for science. So, you know, the, the, the authors for patent work, um, for innovative companies, um, the inventors are usually men. Um, and why is there a gap? Uh, I think it starts with um, just from the very beginning, you know, labs tend to be very masculine, <laughs> masculinely driven, you know, in most research universities, it's intense work, it requires, uh, you know, a lot of speed and a number of hours required are just, you know, the female biological clock and those two things just, you know, don't uh, make sense together. Um, even though there are like special, at least in, in Dubai, in the UAE, and in Saudi Arabia, there's a lot of special, uh, you know, there's special funds available for women to pursue PhDs, etc. To the extent that the government covers even, you know, your post PhD if if you decide to go, but it is something that you do for eight to ten years, and and a lot of people uh, cannot commit. Like w- women just can't commit between the ages of twenty five to thirty five, you know, to, to go ahead and do that. So clearly, a different system needs to be in place for that. Um, so that's number one. That's just the start of the innovation where women are already behind, you know, even even before it starts, um, the system is, is completely stacked against them. Um, if they do go through that um, and they reach a stage, uh, you know, when, when they become, they're becoming entrepreneurs, you know, they're pitching to VCs, et cetera, um, apart from just regular gender bias, once again, uh, men tend to inflate what they've come up with and women tend to, you know, sort of undersell. Um, and a large part of pitching uh, for further funding just requires you to, you know, oversell what it is that you have come up with. And so that is something that I do see when people come to me and, you know, the women are more likely to say that, oh, we're not sure whether, you know, this would justify a patent or, uh, you know, we're not sure if it's going to go through. And, you know, and then so I'm always like, let's at least try and and see what happens, you know, Um, whereas like recently I was doing this uh, software copyright thing and it's like a really male, you know, tech firm and they don't really have anything, you know, to go on, but they're just so convinced that what they have done is extremely innovative and, you know, it needs to go through. So, you know, there is that difference in, um, it's not, it's not just a difference in confidence. It's more a difference in sort of how overhyped, you know, you are about yourself and, and women tend to be more practical about that. And uh, I think, they don't have those kind of blinders on or rose tinted glasses and they do evaluate themselves in a harsher manner uh, than men do. And so that shows up in their, 
you know, innovation and in the, in the businesses that they're wanting to run. I don't recall if we talked about this last time, but uh, did I mention the book, The Confidence no, Code? I don't think so. Yeah. It's excellent book. It's an excellent book. Um, two women authors who um, actually studied like biologically and given your background, I think you'd be interested in this book that women, and it, it does talk about confidence that actually like in our genes, in our biology, right? In general, okay, we are exactly how you described mm-hmm. biologically. And we need to teach ourselves, yeah, okay, to be mm-hmm. more confident. And it's very, it, it's, it, I, I recommend it. I think you would really enjoy it on, on your plane <laughs> rides, you know, <laughs> to conferences and whatnot. It might be a good one yeah, for you. I'll look it up. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I asked, yeah, and I asked the question, you know, about the biggest differences between men and women, innovators or, you know, entrepreneurs also because, you know, I read in your article that women typically are more vision based in their development of their businesses, where men are more market based. So if you could just talk about that a little bit. Okay, so I mean, it 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 also has got to do with the fact that women are less i mean it's not like they want to be poor but they're less profit based in the sense that for because it is such a big sacrifice for them to you know do something that is sort of 24 hours a day and and is really hard to sort of they either decide not to have a family or they outsource their family, both of which are hard decisions for women to take. Um, They prefer really, you know, something that tugs at their heartstrings and, you know, is going to lead to some sort of an actual change. And, uh, you know, so vision in that sense that they're, they're going for something bigger, but then at the same time, it's, you know, it's not just focused on the fact that, this is the market need and we're going to switch it and we're going to make like a billion dollars out of it, right? But unfortunately, that's what the VCs are looking for. So you need a combination of the two in order for for it to work. You can't just, you know, hang your hat on a vision and then not have anything for people's, you know, return on their money. But men, I think, can quantify things um, in terms of profit uh, a lot more because they're I mean their goal it and 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 once again it's not like there there won't be a female who would have that goal in life I mean this is a very big generalization but what most entrepreneurs who are men want is that they're going to make something they're going to sell it then they're going to move on to the next thing then they're going to sell it you know whereas women sort of want to be like somebody who really sort of shakes up that industry and and changes it because we want to be disruptors because we are stuck in a system that is not fair to us right so we 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 do want to disrupt it we don't want to just amplify that system uh so that it just becomes you know maybe just because there's more money in it it becomes easier for women but at the same time it's still a male system Let's talk about the system. Your your article talks about this as well, which I, I really enjoyed reading this section that, you know, the issue of society equalizing roles 
instead of systems, you know, in COVID, right? Like that showed that, you know, you know, letting a woman work from home. I mean, I know that, and there some studies show, you know, there's, there's yeah. some negatives to that, but it does certainly work for yeah. some people, or at least the the hybrid system, you know, changing the way we look at how men work and how mm-hmm. women work. It's not that we're the, we, we don't need to be necessarily the yeah. same. We need to work in a way that works for each yes. gender generally. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, that has been uh, the issue in the sense that um, people feel that if you just give women everything that men have, they will, you know, naturally then just go ahead and uh, compete in an equalized manner. However, that fine, you know, you let us into the colleges, which women were not allowed to be in until like the late 1800s or you know you gave us the right to vote or you know all these things happen they've actually happened very recently if you look at it in terms of the history of the world um but at the same time the people in charge are still men and so they're unlikely to go through any of the biological changes that you go through you know any of the uh sort of in terms of the kind of life goals that you have. So it's not just the fact that women are the mothers and they're supposed to have children. Their life goals are just different in that sense that they want to as well, you know? So um, even in law firms, I think you'd see that a lot of, there are a few very big sort of magic circle firms now, which are run by women managing partners. Uh, But the number of them who actually have like, a functioning family in terms of kids and you know a husband is is usually very rare they've either just chosen not to participate in that part of their lives um or they've left it behind because the system that they're in just does not you know condone those two things together so that's exactly what i mean it's about you know all those visuals that you see of people looking over a fence and uh, you know, just try to raise one person's height, like one person is tall anyway, and then you put books under the other person or something. You know, there are a bunch of visuals like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen but, those. Yeah, you know, you have to really change the entire system um, and do it in a way that it's not just patronizing to women that oh look we're giving like longer maternity leave or look, we've made this special room for you where you can go and breastfeed, you know? It has to be more than that in the sense that if she is in that breast, you know, the breastfeeding room or whatever, you know, also having a very important meeting at the same time, you know? So so the entire system, like, you know, it needs to change. Um, and, And I felt that, like, so for instance, I've brought, my eight-year-old, because in the middle, COVID happened. So with my son, there weren't that many conferences anyway for the two years that he was born. And I was very lucky in that. But for my daughter, she came to every single inter with me for the first two years when she was breastfeeding. So she came to Seattle. She came to San Francisco. She came to Florida. Um, and there was no place for me to take her, even at such a huge conference. I had to keep going back to the hotel room every time she needed me 
because we just never thought about it, you know, at Inta and you never really see kids. And but I come from so far away that I can't leave her, you know, because uh, I come for like at least two weeks. So you can't leave like a, a two year old or a one year old. And even though Inta is even run by women and it has so many women, um, but every individual has a different set of issues. And I think more and more when you'll see younger women there, it'll change in that sense as well, because older women don't have really have that need because their kids are already in school that they leave behind. So we need to like just change the entire system for it to be equalized in the sense that women can participate in the same way that men can. Right. And not feel like if they they have to forego, yeah. you know, like the mm-hmm. big meeting, right? Because they have the requirement of, you know, mm-hmm. pumping or nursing mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. My, my prior firm, I remember they put a lock yeah. on my door. <laughs> they actually installed a lock, a lock on my door. We didn't otherwise yeah. have locks. Uh, from the in, like from the outside, yes, but mm-hmm. not from the inside. No, no one was locking themselves in, right? Um, and so that you know, certain adjustments can be made when the when it's exactly. known. You know, like if it some people, it's not on mm-hmm. their radar. You know, like you know, at conferences, there there are certain facilities that have you know either like the family mm-hmm. bathrooms or you know like a like a nursing room within it. And when we're involved in these organizations and when we see, even if it's not directly affecting us, um, but others, you know, like hearing mm-hmm. your story, for example, of bringing your daughter to various mm-hmm. into conferences, it's like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was, had the ability to then relay, oh, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, just mentioning that this, because I think people, certainly in INTA and, you know, most organizations would yeah. want to accommodate. They yeah, just don't exactly. even know. So I think that's, you know, and that's the voice is important. The mm-hmm. email, you know, shooting an email to whomever, like the, the, it can be a small yeah. action. It doesn't have to be a full lobby effort Many in many instances. Um, and then perhaps in others, it would be, it just, it, you know, it just depends. Right. And so, you know, we, you, that, we talk a, little, a lot about mentoring, uh, you know, in gen- mentoring women and you, me- you didn't use the word, but essentially you mentor a lot of women in your firm um, and, I would imagine outside your firm as well, you know, that allows people to see, you know, there's that phrase, if you can't see it, you can't or don't do it, you know, something of that nature, right? And so when we are mentoring, when we are, you know, pulling women up from, you know, behind us to to join us yeah. at the table, right? We would often call that mm. mentoring. Um are there other ways that you that you believe can help, you know, perhaps um, change the system instead of just equalizing roles? Well, I mean, I like mentoring is is a big part of it, and I do that for my col- both my colleges as well, Wellesley and Cambridge, um, and so there are a lot of avenues to do it in in both of them for you know under underprivileged students students who come from countries that don't necessarily send kids to the u.s uh, uh you know in a majority um so for, for those you know if if you're at that stage that you're a student or you're just someone who just graduated and is looking for a job 
um, just, you know, something as simple as offering someone an internship in an organization where the systems are equalized um, changes their perspective for the entirety of their career, right? So if, if they've seen it just in the first one or two years that they've started working and they've been in an environment which is majority female and they can see that this is something that they can demand and they shouldn't just sort of fall behind whatever it is that the firm is offering, right? Because often people who come out of these colleges are, are obviously, you know, the cream of what uh, firms want. And so they do have that ability to negotiate once they're starting uh, to work. Um, so, you know, I, I think having that sort of exposure, which I really do try to um, inculcate in, in any in anyone who writes to me, if they're just an alumni, um, you know, they usually just get an internship. So things like that. Um, then also, uh, I think in terms of hiring, we are very sort of um, mindful of not judging women on the same scale as men. I mean, I don't know whether you can, you might call that, it, it's not really, uh, you know, bias. It's more that I tend to give a bigger benefit of the doubt to a female, like who might have gaps in her CV, for instance, or, uh, you know, might have, uh, just been to two or three different places in three years, you know, for, so I, I mean, I like having a, I, I don't just not look at that CV. I like having a conversation with that person. I like bringing her in. And understanding the exactly. why, right? Understand, understanding exactly. the why, because I hear you on, and those are two examples where those yeah. are red flags. Yeah. The two examples you you know though when you're when you're someone who hires right you look you definitely uh-huh. look at and, that and and so you would usually just throw it out at the CV stage and then you wouldn't call that person in but if you know all the other parameters are met and that person is a female of a certain age I do assume that maybe she had a child at that time or you know maybe I mean this happens a lot too that they felt harassed in their first you know firm and so they had to move to the next one or whatever you know there'd be a story behind it um and so I then I prefer talking um to fill those loopholes and and a number of times we found wonderful people you know who haven't worked for like a good 5 6 7 years uh because they were having ch- they were having children and they didn't have anyone to take care of them um so I think like all these sorts of things equalize the system to some extent because obviously men have the privilege to continue with their careers without stopping. So um, I know that they're not really massive things, but they do make a difference. Huge. You can make small tweaks, can make a big difference. Absolutely. So before before we go, I do have a couple more questions I want to ask you. Uh, what, what are some of the challenges you think that women in the MENA region have um, that might be different than women in the West, especially considering that you've lived in both regions um, like for a very extended period yeah. of time? So I think I would, the first thing I would say is that people would assume that the biggest problem is that the MENA region is more conservative. And so women tend to sort of have more hurdles in terms of education or working as opposed to the West. I 
very unequivocally think that that's not true uh, because I feel that um, that is slightly like a bit of a, like an observation bias, really. So, you know, w- women go to school at the same rate uh, as men do. Uh, they work, uh, you know, they, they, there is no, at least, you know, the places where I work, the UAE or, or Jordan or, you know, these sort of countries, they have the exact same right to work as men. Uh, the the society is set up in such a way that it is more family oriented. That is a major difference. Um, so there is more pressure to marry early. There's more pressure to have children. Uh, there's more pressure to look after your children yourself rather than, uh, you know, sort of giving them up uh, to nannies, etc. So I think that contributes hugely to the way a woman views her career. Um, and so that is a difference with the West um, in that sense. Uh, but a woman in the West might also feel those pressures, you know, at the, uh, at the same time. Um, in terms of work, I feel like women in both places get the short end of the stick. So I don't, you know, really agree in the sense when people say that Oh, feminism has already won, you know, in the West, and then we we already have, you know, that's not true. The listeners, the listeners can't yeah. see me rolling my eyes, but you can. So, and and that is really similar. And and this is something that people ask me really often. You know, when I come to conferences, they're like, "Oh, you're a female working in the Middle East. You know, what's that like?" And I say that it's like any fem- female who would be, you know, sort of vying for partnership in a law firm in in the U.S as opposed to, you know, in the Middle East, like, we're all in the same boat, we all have the same biases from people on on all sides, we have the same sort of um, issues in terms of trying to have it all, which we which we can't. Uh, So that is, I think, pretty equal on both sides. Um, There does need, you know, there there does need to be sort of more, um, I think, help in place where where I am in terms of providing women, for instance, with free preschools, you know, longer maternity leave, uh, and which which actually you need in the US as well. But the way they have you know, in Scandinavia yeah. and Europe, like it would be wonderful if we had right. Yeah, that. we're not set up like um, they are either. And mm-hmm. we That's also right also because these countries tend to have a lot of expats. So the women in the workforce, you would expect that the women in the East would have a very large sort of family system to take care of the kids and, you know, they'd have grandmothers, et cetera. But most of them are displaced from the countries where that, you know, that would exist. So there are a lot of Pakistanis and Indians working in the UAE. So their parents are back home, you know, and, and the, the the husband and wife are both working day and night. And so what happens to the kids? So, you know, there needs to be sort of more of a social system in place um, to take care of the children or earlier preschools or, you know, things that last longer throughout the day. Um, and I think those sort of issues are, are magnified more uh, in the Middle East uh, than they are in Europe, at least. Uh, whereas in I feel like the, the U.S. is unfortunately similar in, in that sense as well, because 
they don't offer the similar social net either the, from the government. Yeah, we're we're scrambling, right? And yeah. if your babysitter is sick, yeah, exactly, and you've got to be at work, you're, yeah, you're you're really trying to. It's it could be quite stressful mm-hmm. trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Understand that. So with all the things you manage, you know, the firm life, your home life, you know, in the travel, work travel, do you have a like a mantra? Do you have do you have something that you, you say <laughs> to yourself, you know, that motivates you, that keeps you calm and focused? Well, I think um, I've, well, I've always been very ambitious in terms of, uh, you know, even when I was in school or college, et cetera. So I do want for instance, my firm to be the best firm in the region. Uh, and for me to be an employer that people really, you know, sort of want to be with for, for a long time. So I think those sort of relationships, et cetera, and maintaining them is is very important to me. Uh, now that I have children, so, you know, especially because my daughter is my eldest, so I really do want her to see me as a role model for what she can achieve and, I have absolutely had that in my life because uh, my mother has four kids and she's an OBGYN doctor and she has worked throughout her life. Uh, so, you know, it, it's really important for me to sort of inculcate that in my children as well. So I think that that is a very good mantra. Um, and the wonderful thing about, you know, having a family and having an intense career is that when you get bored of one, there's always the other <laughs> to take up, you know, that time. And so during COVID, when we were just completely sick of the kids and you just really wanted to go to the office, there was an office <laughs> to go to. Um, and, you know, and then when you come home from the office and you see the kids, like it just really rejuvenates you. So it's it's great to have that yin, yin and yang. Um, I don't expect for me to be holding on to all those balls in the air together and thoroughly at the same time and I accept it when I drop one or two um, mm-hmm. and I feel like that sort of grace is really essential as well when you have you know this sort of a life you need to give yourself that grace um, but to, I mean to be honest I just really enjoy it there's there's no real mantra apart from the fact that I like being busy um, and you know not wasting time I hear you and I feel your pain sometimes <laughs> on some of the things, but yes, absolutely. All, all the, the blessings, right. To have, mm-hmm. you know, your family that you care about so dearly, but also mm-hmm. work, right. Fulfills you in a different way. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Maria. Thank you for coming back to us and talking to us, uh, to our listeners, please like follow, share with your friends and colleagues. And also feel free to send comments and questions. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Thank you so much, everybody. And thanks, Michelle, for having me. My pleasure. See you all next time. been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.